3: back to Batforce radio the batman and dc podcast with no limits uh at tonight's round table we've got bat force tom from california what's up guys the bat force times from new york and apparently i need to change my instagram handle and add the bat force to the beginning of it but i'm robin Cross from canada so uh tonight's topic uh on march 27th dc comics released the milestone issue detective comics number 1000 uh, the issue introduced, uh, well, aside from being an anthology issue uh, with stories from a bunch of different creative teams, uh, guys like Scott Snyder, Tom King, Kevin Smith, Jim Lee, all kinds of people in it, the issue ended with the only story that related to the current uh, Detective Comics continuity, uh, written by uh, Peter Tomasi with art by Doug Mankey and the ish, uh, that story introduced and signaled the arrival of the Arkham Knight to the main DC continuity for the first time. Uh, if you're not familiar with the character, he was the protagonist and title character of the third Rocksteady Games uh, Batman Arkham game, Arkham Knight. Uh, so he had had a comic series or two, I think two comic series following that, but had never appeared in continuity. Uh, as of the release of this episode to the interwebs, Detective Comics number 1001 is now on shelves, which features the first face-to-face confrontation in continuity of Batman and the Ark of Night. Joining us here tonight is the issue and this Ark's artist, mr brad walker
1: yeah yeah
4: nice. hey thanks guys thanks for having me
3: thank you so much for taking the time to get on here so detective comics you're coming on at a huge time making your return to to detective comics uh, you, you'd worked uh, in some backups uh, pre-52 on the book so you're yeah, no stranger cool. to the title but uh, a massive time to come in uh, uh, how's life been uh working on <laughs> <up> all this <laughs>
4: well it was it was long enough ago and bad enough that I think nobody realized but me that <laughs> I was a legacy creator <laughs> um, but it was really exciting to get to come back um you know to Batman in general and then detective i mean for my uh personal fandom detective even feels a little more special just in a historical sense than if i you know had been had been asked about the other Batman title i I talked to Peter Tomasi a lot and I I, you know we've had this conversation where just by virtue of the numbering being back to the original numbering with only the small break you know it feels really big and important just as a longtime comic fan to be on a book like that and then you know when they asked me about it and just saying we want you to come on for 1001 that just felt like such a huge deal um and I think that we're all sort of working on the book with that with that sense about it um but you know hopefully that translates the the weight of that and the the specialness of that translates when you read it
3: definitely i think everyone's going to love the issue we we've all uh read it at the time uh, that we're recording this uh, some cool moments in it, like we get uh, some Batman the Animated, for me anyway, it was uh, a Batman the Animated Series feel with the Batman, mm-hmm. or a uh, man bat slash woman bat. Female uh, bat. <laughs> Batman <laughs> riding on a back scene uh, felt a lot like on leather wings. Yeah,
0: I loved, loved how you drew that female bat (laughs) the shape of her head and that was so awesome man i really like yeah
2: i can't
4: remember if uh, i know she's been in the books and i can't remember if i uh i'm trying to think if i uh stumbled on the issue i think she was just in one issue you guys might be better historians than i am i can't remember i I think it's been you know many many years since she showed up and i totally forgotten that there was an episode of the animated series where uh yep um, she was a man bat creature. So I, uh, we, you know, we had talked about in early stages, we talked about using man bat, but it conflicted with his continuity, um, with justice league dark. So, um, so this was a sensible, uh, streamlined way to, to not change the beat at all. And, uh, and still be able to use the character that, that makes a lot of sense with what's happening in the first issue here. So, I think the yeah they oh you know what she had been in in more recent continuity because they sent me some reference for her that was a um it was a recent shot Mm -hmm. but it it was very uh i I couldn't i couldn't like make the look work and they were like you know you can you can play with the look Mm -hmm. um and so I, i wanted to do something that had you know a slightly more feminine look but wasn't drastically uh distractingly overly gendered um visually to where you know a real buxom-looking
3: bat mm. creature, but uh, it didn't want to still had have to become a black table title.
1: Not yeah, <laughs> I, I
0: loved it because I could tell the difference between this version and like you know typical um Langstrom Kirk Langstrom version of Man Bat. It was a difference, especially when he's lassoing the bat and uh, when Batman lassoing the bat it. In. Yeah, and he has that uh the battering rope in her teeth and then the ears are like bleeding. I was like, That's so badass and it's a very <laughs> Yeah I didn't want it to just
4: turn into a a, a completely Kirk looking looking version of Man Bat, but I also didn't want to make it look too I think that the version the the reference that I had, I think Andy Clark drew it and she looked uh she was just a little thinner. Um it didn't look as imposing mm-hmm. and and creature gorge. and that scene is so like Creature feature kind of dramatic, um, you know, without hopefully spoiling too much for anybody who, who hears us and hasn't read the issue yet. But, you know, we, we wanted some sort of like, uh, horror Hmm. drama to the scene. And I felt like if, if she didn't look imposing, um, and then very like large and powerful, it kind of didn't, uh, didn't feel as scary and, and creepy. So, um, she was tricky, uh, Drew uh, Hennessy my inker, was just thrilled because you know, you give him a, a hair texture like that and, and I think he was a big man bat fan going in and mm-hmm. and, and I was too and on leather wings is probably one of my Favorite if not my favorite episode of the animated show
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, So to, to get the first script and have it be, you know, such a, a personal um, Favorite for me was, was really cool. So that's
0: I think that was the uh, the first episode of the animated series on leather wings
4: i had seen i remember i went to uh san diego comic-con in 92 and i had seen there were there was a booth where they were playing i can't remember if they were playing full episodes or just clips and they were playing uh part of that one and uh pretty poison and Uh so those two i I stood there you know i was uh (laughs) let's see what was i 15 at the time 14 probably um and i just stood at that booth and i just watched those clips over and over and over for you know three days straight or however many days i went that year that's um awesome. really like ingrained in my in my head and my my batman fandom you know
0: that's awesome. Sure. It's like you, you're like a kid and you're witnessing the first you know one of the first uh, pieces of that masterpiece and has to do with Mad Mat. and now you're starting in this new era with detective comics and it has to do with man bat so it's kind of like when you flash forward it's it's pretty cool to see how yeah uh, circle. it felt really it felt really
4: perfect yeah <laughs>
1: brad what what did you do as far as like because uh, I've, I've seen other artists try to do you know man bat and um the, the face like that face of like the bat face is really difficult to get but you nailed it what do you oh, what do you use for reference for stuff like that
4: it was really hard um i looked at a lot of uh real bat reference um but i felt like you didn't want to go bats you know the s- different species of bats are so varied And look completely different. And if you go too realistic, I feel like it stops feeling like an iconic Batman villain. Um, And with that said, if you look back at like the original um, Neil Adams issues, he looked completely different. You know, there were a lot of, there was probably a decade there where the drawings of Man Bat were not really as much as I love the artists who did it. I don't think that art, Batman artists as a group had really sort of landed on the perfect visual form yet. And and a lot of it is sort of uncomfortable looking. He could end up looking kind of goofy in a panel um, and then kind of like gross, but not in a scary way, just gross in another panel. So, um, you know, I I just looked at a lot of stuff and I tried to pull what worked from everywhere. Um, A lot, obviously being the animated series because that episode was um, so big for me and then the reference that I had for Francine um and and in the in the body shape I tried to pull some elements of her in and uh ways to keep sort of the clothing covering so that we didn't get any any legal issues with uh you know she is technically a naked a topless woman that's true <laughs> <Right>. yeah it's <laughs> yeah. so kind of leave the, that, and then yeah. you know, it, it's kind of hard to keep uh, a top on her and have it make sense with the wings that connect from you know the bottom of the arms all the way to the fingers and then back down to the butt so it you know there's a there's a bit of like uh, fudging and baiting and switching there when you when you move angles but mm. it was it was definitely tricky and and it's one of those things where i mean i'm i'm in the middle of issue 1004 now and and i feel like there are some characters that i'm just sort of locking into even batman who i've drawn a million times mm. the more you draw i and mean, when you draw them every day it's very different than and you draw him, you know, at shows every now and then and you're working on other characters. I feel like I'm getting in my rhythm with how, you know, I'm feeling just right with Batman. But but for her, for Francine's man bat creature, she bat, whatever we want to call her, um, you know, I had a handful of pages um, and I would love to get like an arc that was just her or something where I or, or man bat, either one of them. Where I could awesome. really lock in and, and get comfortable with that anatomy and and proportion and
1: right. You were mentioning um, the you know drawing Batman. I know that with um, the recent uh, couple of arcs with um, you know Tom King's Batman and the detective, they're kind of going back to an old, older, original-looking suit. Um, what did you guys? Do you have to, any notes as far as like what you have to do for the suit? Oh, your cowl looks awesome by the oh, way okay. yeah. like that sleek the way the the ears go back and it looks like way more aerodynamic and the ridges and the forehead and stuff like how is the process of now that you get to draw him you know what what exactly uh did you either get notes for or did you know you wanted to do with that
4: yeah i had uh they gave me no notes at all they were really cool about that and nobody's ever even sort of mentioned if it if it looks different than uh the way um other guys on the books have been drawing him um I, I went into it with a pretty, you know, kind of the nice thing about working on a character like that is you have ideas about them, even if you haven't been drawing that series, even something like Aquaman, who when I started Aquaman, uh, I had read Aquaman for, you know, 20 years or something. And, and I was an Aquaman fan. I hadn't given a ton of thought to what my approach on that series would be necessarily until they offered it to me. But everybody has their personal thoughts about Batman even non-artists you know they're just uh he's an american icon so i'd thought a lot about um batman going in and i'd you know i sketched him at cons and i drew him many years ago in on that uh war games crossover um and i knew there was some stuff that i would do differently if i came back to batman and some stuff that i wanted to try and then i did um i did a secret files eight page story uh pretty shortly before this. Um, And then also a a Robin one shot last year. Um, So I'd been thinking about it and I wanted to make uh, my, not to belabor the animated series as an influence, but that is a big influence on sort of like the way that I see Batman. And I think most people of our generation, we hear Kevin Conroy in our head and, uh, and I put on that Danny Elfman score all the time when I'm working on Batman and, um, so that's a big part of it. and I wanted to bring some of that in. and just the shapes on the cowl and like you mentioned, the streamlined um, nature to the to the ears. And just the way that he moves in sort of like a a stealthy manner, I feel like, you know the animated series had such a nice way of he was a big, imposing guy, but when he would move around, and when he was supposed to be, you know, this creature of the night, uh, or, or a stealthy detective, they had a way of making this huge frame dart around and slink around and he would, he would use the cape to that effect and so there were things like that that I really wanted to bring in, but also not make uh, animated and not make them cartoony and so I wanted to bring some of those influences into a more realistic framework so things like uh, drawing a more molded cowl where you're not seeing every little expression, which seemed like a very uh, character-specific thing to try to lock onto. You know, Batman, I feel like, first of all, it always seemed a little weird to me that he had, (laughs) his cowl was paper-thin and glued to his forehead, Hmm. where, you know, if he was worried about something, then his his cowl would wrinkle up like he's worried. (laughs) And to me, Hmm. A, that just seemed odd uh, that there was a texture that would do that and still protect his head. But then also um, I liked the idea of keeping him uh, very um, stoic to anyone who would who would get the rare chance to get a glimpse of him. Um, so, but you still have to convey, convey emotion in a storytelling framework. So it was sort of a challenge and a task that I put for myself to make um, a hard-molded cowl, and then just through the way that uh, you light the thing or you angle him in the panel, uh, what you do with his mouth and his chin, uh, you know, little elements like that that you convey emo- uh, convey the emotion through rather than having everything be in the eyes like is, is typical to do when you're acting in a comic. So um, there were a lot of little things that I went in with uh, – planning like that, but even having drawn that eight pager and secret files and, uh, and a little bit of the cowl in that Robin one shot, you know, I was hitting the ground running with some, uh, some ideas about how I was going to do it, but I felt like I was really locking onto more of a successful approach by, you know, somewhere issue two, probably that 10 Oh two, I feel like it was where I, I got it the way that I wanted. I'm not, I'm still not at the point where I look back at 10 Oh one and I'm unhappy with it but i feel like (laughs) a lot of my objectives are um are getting closer to where i i want them further in the arc so
1: you feel like you're hitting your stride like you said a little bit earlier
4: yeah which is which is really common and natural and um Mm. in in any new gig so uh but certainly when you go in with thoughts and ideas on on how you want to approach something but yeah to, to your original question dc didn't uh didn't give me any marching orders and i think a lot of that probably has to do with batman and just the fact that so many artists come in and have a different approach and you it facilitates that and it's never going to not look like batman um and confuse the reader about who that is on panel you can you can show batman in silhouette and everybody knows that it's Batman. Mm who is a unique character in that sense
1: What about with um, spoilers, obviously? I don't think it's much of a spoiler because, you know, it's been such a big uh, event. But um, Arkham Knight getting to be featured um, fully now in this issue, um, kind of like his full kind of like, you know, uh, uh, appearance. What do you what did you do as far as like uh, that character and how did you attack that? Did you have to like look into his look? Did you know how you wanted him to look? Did you reference the games a lot?
4: Uh, so when they started talking about the arc, Doug was still several issues out from doing his pages in 1000, but I had to go ahead and get started. So we talked about, um, the design some, uh, with both Doug and I and, uh, and Peter and editorial and, and they just sort of, the, the marching orders were sort of, um, we don't want, uh, we don't want to do the exact same design. And my thinking was thank God, because that would be impossible to, to do. The video game one would just be impossible to do issue to issue panel to panel. Um, and also there's, there's an element where he's, uh, you know, we're leaning into the night aspect of, of Arkham Knight. Um, I don't, I don't know the game, honestly. So I, I sort of checked out of video games and, the issues would never come out if I <laughs> if I was still into video games since you know 2000
2: or whatever. But, right.
4: um, so I don't I don't have an attachment to the, the take in the game, but uh, our version is very much you know he considers himself a knight um, of a sort, and you know you, you get a sense in the first issue there in, in those first couple pages of just how that uh, how that's treated. Um, so the marching orders were, um, you know, sort of a night with like a, a SWAT team, um, bent to it. And so I did a couple sketches and Doug did a sketch in mine. The one that we ended up going with was Doug's, but, uh, they, Doug had like a different helmet, um, and I think uh, a bunch more straps maybe. I saw it and I was like, oh, thanks, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was a lot of detail and, com- and complexity. <clears throat> and uh, so they came back and they kind of, they said, well, we're going with Doug's, but with these notes. And then the notes kind of were elements of the things that I had done. It's, it's totally, it's Doug's design, but um, I felt like you know my thinking on the approach obviously was was along the right lines because the notes that they had for him were more leaning towards the stuff that I had done. But uh, we we tried to move the helmet back to... The helmet and the symbol on the chest should be pretty much exactly like the game in as much as you can draw that very complicated, multi-angled helmet multiple times and keep it consistent. So um, I feel like, again, with the knight... uh, I feel like it, it starts to, I start to lock in on it somewhere in the second issue. Um, and I look back at that first shot towards the end of, uh, of 10.01 and, and it doesn't really look like to me how I'm how I'm drawing it in the later issues, but you know, that's just, that's again, common in general, but then also it's a really complicated design that I was concerned about how much detail it had and, and having to do that page after page. But uh, that's another one where I've, I've kind of, uh, surprisingly started to enjoy that that shape and and the sort of the giant um armored shoulders and uh there's a lot of fun aspects to it that i've played with in my i have like a half digital process half physical pencils and so there are elements like the sword where you know i'm, I'm able to cut a lot of time by um taking the original sketch of the sword and just moving it in space sort of on my iPad, and then uh, and then just tweaking it to to fit the perspective, and there are things like that that's kind of fun to be able to use that character to discover tricks of the trade that'll mm-hmm. speed me up.
1: <laughs> um, that's awesome.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah, so it's that, like little. Yeah, there's so much things available to artists now that that like pff, five ten years ago, probably you guys didn't even think could happen.
4: Yeah, and I was strictly I was strictly physical uh, until uh two years ago a little a little bit less probably my my third issue i think of uh the demon miniseries that i did i started working in my ipad Mm. um just on the fly just seeing if i could figure it out and uh and it went surprisingly smoothly because i'm not very uh tech savvy by any stretch of the imagination so i was pretty surprised with myself to be able to figure it out
0: Mm. it's crazy how you could just zoom in on those things more than you could ever in in real life
4: (laughs) and then like a year later not even see how I could go back you know there's so much that I do now Mm. where not having to redraw something because I can just select that and and move it a little bit in the rough in the rough drawing and then what I do is I I do it I draw a rough version on the iPad and then I print it out and then I physically pencil over it for for details and texture and lighting and things like that um, before it goes off to true Hennessy so um, you know there's still physical art there and and it doesn't have a static quality to it that I think the digital process can bring in because I'm still printing it out but um, yeah it's been it's been a real game changer so hopefully the thing never crashes
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, j- just to take a step back for a second um, can you take us through your journey in terms of like how you first were introduced to art or your love of art and how you like broken the industry and so on and so forth.
4: I mean, I've been drawing as, as long as I can remember from, from really young. Um, I was really into the sixties Spider-Man show when I was a little kid, they played it in reruns in Chicago where I lived at the time. Um, and this would, would have been in the early eighties, but they were still playing it. Um, and so I was a big Spider-Man fan as a little kid. And I remember drawing, you know, little oval shapes with, Spider-Man eyes and my, my mom showing me how to draw the web pattern on the face and stuff like that. And I would draw you know, as early as probably three, four years old. Um, and then I got back into comics uh, when I was 10 or 11, I guess. So uh, I bought uh, the last issue of Death in the Family. was the first thing that I picked up myself. I mean, I had like, I probably had some issues with Spidey Super Stories before that and uh, G.I. Joe and things like that. But when I started like collecting comics and really getting into drawing them was, was with death in the family. And, and I was huge into Batman for years after that. So, um, and I would just draw, you know, I'd copy Jim Apero panels and, and I got right back into Spider-Man immediately. And I would draw Todd McFarlane panels right out of my comics and stuff. And I would just, um, copy comics. And and I think like, you know, you, when you're a kid, who knows if they were any good or any <laughs> any better than the other kids my age, but if somebody tells you you're okay at something, I think you put yourself into it and you become okay with something. Maybe that's uh, me downplaying <laughs> a natural ability that I had, and maybe I really was. I don't know, but um, it was kind of all that I did was read my comics and draw. Um, and I just I stayed with that, and I was super into comics all through uh, high school, and I went to art school. Um at the savannah college of art and design in georgia um, and they had a program for comic books and storyboards and animation wow um, so yeah I, I went through that and then uh moved to new york after college and uh i had been sending in this was in 2002 i guess um and i'd been i met some editors through college and I'd been sending them photocopy samples uh, and faxing samples to the office and stuff. Um, you can add in later an, ex- an explanation for those kids what faxes are. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one of my professors from the college came up with a class um, with his current class um, from the school, and uh, and I got in touch with him just to say hi because uh, you know I hadn't seen him and and he was a friend. And he was like, "Well, we're going into DC, so why don't you come along?" And uh, and so I came with him, and I took samples with me, and I met the Batman editors at the time, and uh, and they liked the work, but were like, "You know, keep keep working." And they gave me some sample scripts, and uh, and so I was corresponding with them for uh, maybe like a year, and I would just I'd go into the office in person when they were in New York, and uh, and I'd show them new samples, and they would always kind of be like, "Yeah, pretty good. Keep trying. Keep trying." One day they just said, we, you know, we hear you're looking for work. And so they gave me those two detective backups and I didn't horribly blow them, I guess, because then they (laughs) they had issues of that War Games crossover. So I, I just sort of rolled right into it and I've been steady ever since. But it's one of those interesting questions because you could have you could have an artist, a different artist once a week on the show. And ask them how they got into comics, and every single person will have a completely different story. Oh yeah, and you could try to follow that person's lead and do it again, and it'll never work again. You know, they're yeah. its like uh, entering the atmosphere. You know, it's a—it's
3: a window, and if you miss the window, you're not getting through that way.
1: So. Right. The one thing—it's
3: funny one, that, that there are so many routes into the business. I've actually had a couple people over time have asked me like people that are aspiring artists or aspiring writers said, Hey, you you've spoken to a lot of comic creators. How would you suggest I get into the business? Uh, well, it, literally everyone got in a different way. So I, I don't have any pointers for you. Yeah.
4: And honestly, I'm just in a weird sort of pocket generation where right after I broke in, the world changed. You know, I was, uh, when I was doing that, whole process where I was showing them samples and I would go in. I didn't have a computer because I was, you know, living on friends' couches and uh, working temp jobs just to, to get by enough that I could draw samples and stuff. So I would go uh, to see if they emailed me, I'd go to an internet cafe on 42nd street and I would have to check my email once a week that way, just to see if they'd gotten back to me. Um, And you know, that would, if you told somebody under, 30, that story they would look at you like it's the most absurd thing in the world so <laughs> you know nobody would the the world like i said the world's just changed and and to use that approach would be completely counterproductive to getting an editor's attention whereas you could have an instagram feed that gets a lot of followers now and you could probably just get jobs based on that you know it's just a very different scenario more so than ever before and even then that story was was true that anecdote that that nobody ever got in the same way twice. So yeah, my, my story is completely useless now, except in, in a very <laughs> antiquated
3: anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> An anecdote for internet cafes. Right. <laughs>
1: it's, um, it's, it's awesome that you had the opportunity to go to like a school though. You had uh, you know, a school with a program that, that was able to kind of um, develop your skills. You know, a lot of people, I don't know, back then had that opportunity.
4: Yeah. And uh, they still have that program and that's still there. And I would, you know, if you have the money for a private college like that, I would recommend it because if nothing else, I don't, I don't think I know, uh, I'm trying to think of even any of the professors that I had that, that I uh, really got something from. I don't even know if there's any of them still there. So I can't really vouch for the program at this point because I'm completely removed from it, but it was really beneficial to have to be getting an education where you had an excuse and the time allotted in your day to draw comics and to, to work on it. You know, if you are trying to just figure it out on your own, you can only really do it in your spare time. and and comics is one of those things where you've got to do that every day and you're doing it two hours and you're just getting warmed up. So, you know, to, to have a college curriculum where, it just afforded you the ability to sit and do it was was useful in and of itself. And it was just, uh, you know, I, I got out of high school and I knew that I wanted to be an artist and, and I wanted a college degree just as a sort of parachute in life, kind of. So it was, it was nice that I could get a college degree and still work towards the trade that I wanted to do. Um, but I know uh, SVA in New York has a program that has, you know, Walt Simonson, I think, Is or was teaching there, and Phil Jimenez. And um, it's got a lot of reputable uh, people that would have a lot of insight for a young uh, aspiring artist. So there are several others, I think, that that have a similar program. So if people are interested in getting into comics but feel that they want to go to college, there is a, a path out there still that I do think is still sensible and can be mimicked (laughs) for going to art school. So I I would say that that's still, you know, something I'd recommend.
3: And comics are uh, being taken increasingly seriously, seen as, you know, a a legitimate art form. Uh, And I think a lot more courses and classes uh, revolving around, around the medium uh, are a lot more common. Now there's a university here in my city uh, that one of the courses, at least a, a part of the course is uh, reading comic books. Uh, hmm. I work at a shop, and part of the course is that the students have to uh, find a comic shop. Which you know, a lot of them end up coming to to our place, and they have to choose a monthly book because part of the course is you know having the experience of having a pull list at a comic shop where every month you go and pick up your book.
2: Yeah. Well. Wow
3: how convenient <laughs> right <laughs> great for us but uh yeah it's, it's very cool how uh how accepted it is now
4: I, w- I wish i had a class just on the reading of comics <laughs> 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 yeah, more intensive?
0: <laughs> um so so flashing back forward to present day now that um you're taking the reins on detective again and uh and uh, such a critical point in history being that it's um it comes out twice a month. Are you doing like four on and four off? Or how does that work now with the schedule? With uh, I'm month?
4: doing I'm doing this arc, which is 10.01 uh, through 10.05. Right. So I'm doing five there. And then uh, there's a 2 partner, I think, that Kyle Holtz is drawing. Mm. And then I think, uh, don't quote me on it, but I think Doug comes back for an arc after that. And then I'm back after that. So, mm. uh I mean, Doug did just a Herculean task, coming on this run and doing. He did six in a row plus the uh, twelve pages or whatever it was in a thousand, which yeah. was actually that was the record since Reverse started for most issues in a row.
0: And that's with um, one dumbbell in his left hand too. While he's drawing,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he posts post videos of him powerlifting, and I, I kept thinking like, Wait, when does this happen? <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh so yeah he he broke the record um mm. and then i am pretty sure that I can hit all five, mm. you know every page of all five um I'm almost halfway through part four, so mm. uh you know the time is getting tight, but you know, we'll race to the end, and then <laughs> with it it all starts over, so mm. um so I think you know it may be longer in between. And they may have to work in a third artist here and there if, if Doug and I are getting backed up. But um, hopefully, you know, there will be enough lead time that at least I I tend to think that it's preferable. I, I know there are p- pluses and minuses to the bi-weekly shipping. Yeah. Ultimately, I tend to feel like the good outweighs the bad. I think I think it's really easy as a reader to stay engaged.
0: I love it when
4: hey. it's when it's coming out a lot. Yeah, um, I think probably the lesser of two evils is to go longer without the same artist showing up and let that artist get a chunk of issues done. Mm. Um, we we've had some editorial turnover, but I think, I think the book kind of has a momentum of its own and Peter has a history and editorial. So he's sort of aware of how to mm. keep a schedule running. And I think that they sort of have this figured out where they know how to then jump ahead and, and get lead time. When, when reverse started, and I was on Aquaman mm. it was really frustrating because it was kind of like, everybody was just in un- in uncharted waters and mm. the schedule was just a mess from the beginning and it never recovered. And I was the guy with me and uh, two other artists and the other guys, uh, Scott Eaton and Philippe Briones, I think, mm. or Briones, how you say the name? Um, They were both just powerhouses. They were like three week guys. They would do an issue in three weeks. And then I was the, the black sheep that would take at least five. You know, it, it. I couldn't do. I couldn't do even a four week, which they would have loved. But and and starting out, you know, the first issue to sort of like get my feet wet would always take me longer. So, we started late, and then by the end of the first one, when I was getting some momentum, they would be panicked about the schedule, so they kept bumping me ahead. So and then I would wait for a script. So it was it was always a case of starting over. So I think, you know, I came back to the bi-weeklies in time that DC in general and editorial and, and the writers who have done them have all sort of gone through the learning curve of how to keep an artist with script in their hands and Mm. how far in advance for this artist's, uh, personal timeline, do we need to get them going? And, Mm. and I think, you know, they've kind of got it figured out. So, uh, if I hit all five issues and every page is me, uh, I'll take like 10% of that credit um, and honestly, and this, I, I say this not in a um, kissing the master's butts kind of way, but you can give editorial the other, you can give editorial uh, 40% and, and Peter 50%. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of <laughs> do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love bi-weekly. Do you feel that this is the way it's going to be from here on out with uh, DC, with the main characters?
4: I have no insight so don't quote me on anything. But I feel like see, I'm inclined to say no because I feel like as soon as it started you heard these rumors that it was only going to go this long or they were going to mm-hmm. stop it yeah. and then it stopped most of them, but some are still going. I, I feel like the uh, the diplomatic capitalist answer is if people are still buying four issues of Batman a month, then Batman and Detective will stay that way. You know, mm-hmm. if, yeah. if still if people are still interested enough to put down that that four bucks an issue. Mm. Um, I, I think they'll try to keep it up. I know it probably is just a, a total mess in that office. You know, editorial puts their heads through every cubicle wall. You know, but it's got to be worse for them than it is for us. But even even on my end, it, it definitely gets hairy. You know, getting this one in the mail, getting my comps of this one, and then realizing how soon that means the one that I'm currently drawing. Mm. Will be on the stand. Oh God! And suddenly, yeah. I was on the phone with Peter, and we were both <laughs> sort of like panicked. And and I was like, "Well, you should be used to this."
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And he... What is what's that like for you as the artist? You know, like having to meet those kinds of deadlines. Your book is shipping twice monthly. What does it do? You know, to you mentally, and also to like to your hand. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I I definitely have some uh, body pain (laughs) associated with the long hours. And it's one of those things where, you know, when I'm working on 10.01, it's not terribly uncomfortable. Um, They've got, you know, a nice schedule planned out where it seems like everybody is understanding And we're going to hit this. And one little thing can chip away, you know, a couple days here. And then another little thing chips a a couple days away there. And suddenly you're sprinting to the end. But it's always like that. And and I've definitely been in comics long enough now that I'm not... The situation itself, I'm past the stress of that, I think. The, the actual physical work of it can still give me stress of like, oh, oh man, I've got to do four pages by Monday morning or, or whatever it is. But <laughs> I'm not surprised anymore. So it's... <laughs> it's not weighing on me emotionally as much. I just got to get it done and and the the page has to, has to get there. So,
3: yeah, I was actually wondering if you're going to end up getting a break week somewhere in here, because it's typically scheduled so that Batman and detective were coming out on alternating weeks with the, with the double shipping. Uh, But as it, stands right now like this this week there's a batman issue coming out the same day as detective 1001
4: so when did that happen because i think they skipped they skipped one ship leading up to a thousand i think right it wasn't
3: 10- uh, i know batman batman had a week off i believe i think uh i think 60 is it 68 that uh, just came out this week uh came out uh I think a week later than usual.
4: Mm. Okay, so maybe, maybe they had a snag or something. I don't know, um, and I I really have no uh, idea of their schedule or anything behind the scenes in the other book. I, it would make more sense in my mind if they had if they alternated every other week. So maybe they'll maybe they'll try to come back to that at some point. I haven't heard anything about it uh, being during my arc, which I would love. But,
3: Bam! Uh, <laughs> you know,
4: somebody else maybe is going to benefit from that, but. <laughs> or maybe they just hold off another issue of Batman ticket, and give them the break and put that one on schedule. I don't know. So yeah, we get a lot of need to know information and I think they purposefully do it for one, just cause I don't need to know. And also let him keep his head down and keep going. And if we, if we tell him he's got any sort of a breather coming up, he's going to take two breathers and then we're screwed again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so is Batman
4: your favorite? Spider-Man's still my favorite. Spider-Man. Um, Yeah, I was into Spidey first as a little kid, Mm. and then when I started buying comics, I got into Batman first, but I was really quickly after I got so into Batman, I sort of had a very conscious instinct of, well, I love Spider-Man so much as a little kid, let me try that one, and it was right when, uh, I think issue 301 of Amazing Spidey was the first one that I bought.
0: Mm. um, Oh, right after
4: Venom, Fourth fourth or fifth issue of McFarlane's, yeah. Oh, was a great time. super into that, Yeah, yeah. Um, And I actually had a I lived in uh, Colorado Springs at the time because my dad was in the Air Force. And so we lived right by the Air Force Academy. And you could do this thing where uh, military families could sponsor a cadet so that, you know, these guys that were at the academy and far away from home had sort of like a surrogate family in town that they could go and relax on the weekends or whatever. And we we sponsored this guy who um, was a Spider-Man fan growing up. And his roommate or friend or somebody had given him a subscription to Amazing Spidey as a sort of gag gift um, right around then. I think his subscription started around like issue 290 or 291 or something like that. And I had just started buying Batman and I think I bought an issue or two of Spider-Man. And um, he, I was telling him about it. And, you know, I'm 11 years old at the time. And he was like, well, I, my friend just gave me the subscription. I'll, I'll bring my comics for you next time. So he gave me that whole run of McFarlane Spidey stuff, like 12 issues worth, and as a little kid. You know, that's like somebody giving you treasure. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I was like crazy into it. But I was buying, I think I was just buying Spidey books and Batman and Detective for a while there before, you know, at least a year probably before I branched out to, I started buying Superman and I think Captain America started buying hulk during the peter david stuff i mean i was i was voracious in my in my buying just every dollar i had went to went to comics so it probably seems far apart now in retrospect but that was all probably in the span of like six months to a year that i was just reading everything everything i was able to afford
3: it's cool seeing more and more how uh, deeply todd mcfarlane uh, is rooted in the comics history of uh, of the people of our generation. Like I'm similarly linked with Todd and that the first comic book I owned was Batman four twenty three with that iconic yeah. Todd cup, and uh, a lot of us are, are similar. You know, we we were getting in when when Todd was uh, the artist.
4: Yeah, yeah. I it's funny to me because I that was when I got in, and I had a big phase with you know from eighty nine to. 92-ish I was definitely very in the thick of all that all that 90 stuff and I got into x-men you know while Jim was on it um, but I would I get so many comics and I would get so into the characters I really quickly was going back and getting back issues and I started going pretty far back and I would you know I'd buy Silver Age comics when I was 12 13 years old um, and I didn't I didn't have many friends that read comics at all, but um, I don't think many of the kids at the time were getting into the older stuff. So I got into older stuff pretty quickly too. So, you know, quickly my mental image of Spider-Man went from McFarlane's version to like a John Romita Sr. Mm -hmm. version. Um, And I got really into, you know, the influences of the guys who were the contemporaries at at the time, or who were the modern guys, not my contemporaries, but... Um, I got more into their influences than I was into them. So, you know, I look back at that phase and I, I don't feel like I drew a lot from, not figuratively drew, I don't feel like I took a lot from McFarlane in my art. Um, but maybe there maybe there are ways that I, I did and I just don't really see it because it's so second nature. It's been interesting coming back to drawing Batman because I most of my Batman stuff is pre like 2000, is, you know, in storage somewhere. So I, I bought up um, a lot of the stuff that I had somewhere just to have it again and read it again and be able to look through it. So I bought up, like, you know, Fogle stuff and Apéro stuff and then going back further to, like, uh, around issue 500, like the Gene Cole and stuff and uh, Don Newton and that era of detective. Um, but it's been interesting to look back at the stuff that I had before, like the Fogle and Apéro issues and see how much of that You know, I'm kind of surprised to it looks like second nature to me. And and there is stuff that because that was so that was the first stuff that I was looking at because it was so important to me at the time. I think that I took a lot of that that I didn't even realize that I was taking in. And I was just flipping through my death in the family trade, you know, the original trade that I got back then. um, And just thinking like, oh, that that apparel Batman kind of looks in my head like mine now it probably doesn't at all but i feel like the fact that it does to me on some level suggests influence on a, on a deep level so that's been interesting and i don't know that that's an experience that i would have had or recognized without it being a batman book that i was put on you know
3: now with uh, with your history and all of your influences in mind mm-hmm. are there any particular characters or stories you would without getting spoilery uh, that you would like to get the chance to tackle in the, in your current detective run in detective uh,
4: not so much I mean there's always stuff that I'm gonna relish getting the chance to find in a script um, we've got some there's some panels with some big villains coming up that were definitely fun to to read that you know they're in that panel I kind of have more of like a tone that I want to want to work in more so than like specific stories or characters. Um, My sort of Batman fandom is, is very much like the detective story, not title, but that style of story, like him solving a crime. And he can almost be sort of secondary and and he's sort of like the, the morality in the center of of a more general story. You know, I think Batman is, is an interesting character in that he fits into other character stories as his story if that makes sense
3: yeah like uh the the case can almost be the main character and yeah totally and Batman is part of it
4: and yeah and and i feel like uh when it gets super personal or if he gets super wordy I, I feel like he's almost more powerful when he's less of the focus so so things like that are the types of things that that really interest me and um and just the the mood that you can bring to that, and uh, drawing Batman solo stories or Batman with Robin are kind of the the thing. The, the greater Batman family that's really sprung up in the past twenty years or so probably doesn't hold as much interest to me. You know, and that's not that I don't like those characters. I I love Nightwing. I love Batgirl. I have less interest in seeing in in working on team ups with them just because. Uh, i like them as solo characters i like them on their own out of batman shadow more than more than i like them working with them and and him calling in a big team of teenagers every time he has a case um, but really that's that's my instinct as a reader um, that then transfers onto my uh desires as an artist so um and again i like those characters a lot so i'm hesitant to say that comic fans are so passionate more and more that I think you can hurt feelings when you, uh, yeah. what do you mean you're like Nightwing. Yeah. No kidding. It, which is you're trying to kill Nightwing right? Brad. I respect that. And I don't want it to sound that way because I really do like those characters. And even if even if there's some that I don't, I respect that other people do. And I, I say that genuinely. Um, but you know, I love me a good a good Batman caper um, with a sort of like creepy, disturbing, uh, criminal villain. Um, you know, I love, I love when superheroes are, are helping people and solving crimes and fighting crime still in a very, um, classic way. So that's the kind of stuff that leaps to my mind when I think about the type of stuff that I want to do. And I'm, I'm excited about working with Peter because, uh, I feel like he works a lot that way. I, I think he has a, he takes the characters seriously, you know, that his books never feel like a spoof of any kind or, or he's like winking at the reader, um, which really speaks to my aesthetic a lot too. And and his Batman and Robin run was so fantastic and yeah. and really yeah. affected me
3: so yeah, his, uh, I actually handling his handling of not only of batman but of the relationship between bruce and damien and and batman and robin uh yeah there was a, a lot of powerful stuff in that
4: yeah and we we get a lot of that i don't know assuming that he had all this plotted out before he and i started talking about it but you know in our earliest conversations on the phone um i was telling him that i had just read through that run because i knew his work from superman and green lantern more and i hadn't read his batman and robin run until they started talking about having me on the book and i just blew through the whole thing and uh and when we were talking on the phone i was telling them how much i loved it and we get into a lot of their relationship and damien plays a a significant role in this arc i'm i gotta assume that he had planned for that before that phone conversation even if the scripts weren't finished i know he had a uh an outline written but you know part of me wondered if if he uh punched up damien's role in the story just because i had told him that i enjoyed that so much but um yeah they've got a really damien and bruce have a a cool dynamic that i don't know if you've got anywhere else in comics or or certainly in batman's mythos and i was not a big damien fan until i drew him in that one shot and really started to enjoy him and then certainly reading Batman and Robin and then getting the drama, getting the drama in this. I've gotten super into that dynamic and, and understood Damien Moore' a character and why he's likable. so
3: You've seen from a, oh sorry Tom, uh, I just want to say uh, we've seen from a panel that yourself and Nathan Fairbairn have, uh, have posted. I think you said it was from uh, maybe 1003 uh, that we aren't waiting uh, too long before we get to see uh, Damien back with Bruce spoilers yeah. Damien Damien
4: will be in uh I don't think it's a uh, spoiler he's on one of the covers <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'll be in 1002 and he factors in significantly after that and there's uh that's there's a there's a back cave scene a short back cave scene in each issue so far nice um, that I just I love drawing those back cave scenes I don't know what it is but I really sort of uh relish in them and, and put a lot into those couple pages for whatever reason and and uh I've got some like repeated forms in the layouts that I'm just doing to entertain myself, kind of. Mm. Every time the Batcave shows up, and uh, so (laughs) if people want to look for that, that's a (laughs) little game you can play with yourself for no prize at all. But
1: I think it's a treat whenever we get Batman or Batcave uh, scenes in any um in any book because it's like there's easter eggs in it almost for like every artist puts something like that speaks to them you know like you have the animated series batmobile and yours obviously you know and um everyone likes to do their version of the Batcave, cave so it's really cool to see like what like people bring to the table what are what are some other gadgets or vehicles that like you're dying to put in there
4: uh there's one coming up that i changed it a little bit but people will remember it from uh from the batman and robin run I'd love to draw the cycle. The interesting that you, I've had a couple people refer to it as the animated series Batmobile and it is, but it's also just the main current default Batmobile. I think that because Michael Janin has been drawing, it's a tweaked version. The front end is a little different, but that's, that's definitely the, Main comic Batmobile at this point. Is yeah, the, the front end is very... like
0: the Golden Age shield crest from the old Batmobile, and then like the rest is like the animated yeah. series. So. Yeah, it,
4: it's got more of more exposed uh, engine parts on the top. Uh, the body doesn't cover the top of the front tires, and yet it's got the the bat face shield on the front. But for all intents and purposes, you can kind of draw the the body shape of that Batmobile, which is great for me because cars are really not my strong suit and and i have good reference for that thing so (laughs) i can reference it just for accurate perspective and things like that and then i can just tweak the details so it's worked out well i actually doug had been had been drawing a different one of his own design in the arc before and i had wanted to include that one in there but i just for time reasons it was so much easier for me to have a car that i could reference instead of figuring out the reality of one that i only had like a couple small panels of so I just went with, with, Michaels from the other Batman book.
2: Do you ever use like models or like maybe online photos or anything as references?
4: Oh yeah, like crazy. I for, <laughs> all, the, for all the figure work, I take a I take a picture of myself in in the pose just to make sure for every character. Um, I mean, I was doing it with Rocket Raccoon when I drew Guardians of the Galaxy. Um,
3: oh, I got to go over that. Now.
4: I, I pose just to make sure it's. You know, you you cut a lot of guesswork. You can save yourself a lot of time that you would sit there erasing and trying to make sense of something in your head if you just have something to look at, even if you're not sticking completely to it. Um, And then if I have to draw... uh, I'm just looking at the tabs open on my my laptop here. I'm drawing a prison scene right now, and I'll, I'll Google prison guard. Just instead of making up a prison guard uniform and having something that looks bad you know take a look (laughs) um there's no shame in uh in doing the work so no uh, shame at
2: all i think uh i think um sean murphy tweeted out that his wife walked in on him like posing and she's like oh drawn batman again huh he's like uh yeah yeah uh
4: you know sometimes i'll think about posting like uh process stages of artwork up to and including you know reference pictures and then i'll i'll pull up a page that i would want to post and and then i'll look at the reference pictures that i have for it and i'll think oh no way <laughs> no way i'm posting <laughs>
3: that <laughs> uh, the the first look that we got at your bat cave is uh, something that we skipped through uh, when we talked about the issue but uh, it's a pretty different look at the bat cave uh, being that it is covered with thousands of dead bats
4: mm. yeah both, so that uh, that spread and uh, and the spread before it with Gordon were the first two things that I drew for the issue because we hadn't locked down the Arkham Knight design yet. So I skipped pages one through three and I went straight to those just so that we could get going. And obviously, they're they're huge shots. Both of those two, um, they have your establishing shots of several main characters and then your establishing shots of those two environments, which are both very detailed. And then you also have the point of the panels, which is which is the dead bats that you're trying to show. So if you don't draw tons and tons of those bats, the moment's wasted and, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Plus, you need to it needs to really be clear and make sense where we are. We need to really get it felt important to me to give people a good look at Gordon as I was going to be drawing him and Bruce and Alfred. Um, so there were a lot of demands on those pages. Um and being that they were the first things that I was tackling. Um, but by the time Drew inked them and by the time Nathan colored them and just blew me away with them, I think they're probably some of still my favorite pages in the in the book. And I double page spreads just look so much better printed than they do when you're looking at a JPEG or when you're reading on Comixology. People read wherever you want, but for me somehow there's just something really powerful about, about a printed double page spread when you open. You know the next page and, it, and it's spread across mm. both pages and it's just sort of twice as much as what you're used to in a comic book yeah and then especially for them to be big shots like that long shots where you're getting a real sense of atmosphere and stuff like that um they were I totally
2: agree with that i mean the only thing that with like these uh, a double page spread that i hate is when like the main character is split in half in the middle of the crease <laughs> yeah
4: it's a big big no-no
2: well no i mean i actually saw where some (laughs) artist said i didn't want to do that but that's what editorial told him to do and
4: i was like i saw that too and i know exactly what page (laughs) and artist you're talking about yeah and i was just like
2: that makes no sense to me that that ruins the shot
4: i was shocked that he didn't tell them no. i right that's honestly uh and i'm not gonna call it out because i don't want to
2: Right. We know who we're talking about. Him but. sound
4: bad. Yeah. And I don't want to make editorial sound bad if they felt like that was what the needs of the story and the page, or even if it was the writer, if that was what they specifically wanted, more power to you. But mm. to me, that's a real early on learning to draw comics thing that you do not do because, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look worse in trade. Because trades, you're going to lose so the gut, much of
0: that. The gutter loss, yeah. Figure.
4: Yeah, so I was I was really surprised when I read that, and and all I could think was uh, I would have pushed back on that. <laughs> have,
2: well, um, I'm glad we're in agreement on that. Yeah,
4: actually, <laughs> a... all they would have had to do was tilt that panel.
2: Mm-hmm. You, you right.
4: tilt the angle, so that character's face is on one side. He st- it still would have split across him, but it would have totally, almost 100% solved that problem. Mm. But you know, if they were asking for something specific. And they were going to stick to that. You know, it's a rock and a hard place. What are you going to do?
3: Yeah, right. I, I wonder how much of that decision uh, plays into the fact that they know so many people are reading digitally now.
4: I'll bet okay. a lot of that factors in. I'll, you know, there's there's even if it's not said out loud, there's probably an instinct of, yeah, but when you read it on comiXology, that's not even a factor and yada, yada, yada. There's a spread in 1002 and you guys will know it when you see it because it's early on and it's, I think, 11 panels which is just insane to figure out 11 panels in one layout to begin with, and then to figure it out in a way where, you know, some panels have the appropriate more or less weight than others. Um, And then to figure it out with that spine factored in, it was really tough. I'm pretty happy with what we came up with. And again, Drew and Nathan really made that work. And I should, I should talk about them for a minute, but I'll get back to them in a sec, but uh, just on that one spread, there's just so much more that you're asking in the storytelling once it's being cut in half. And even though it's going to be shown together, those staples completely upend the middle of a composition, and that's got to be accounted for in, in so many different places. And when you have the more panels you have, that's the more places across that page that you have to account for that spine. So it's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Interesting though that you saw that exact same thing and <laughs> that exact same spread that I was talking about. But
2: <laughs> the lightning round. So with the uh, holiday coming up, what's
4: your favorite Easter candy? It's not gonna be very lightning because I'm not gonna remember the n- names or stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just
1: a fa- just a fancy name, and really.
4: There, the eggs, and they changed them.
1: They changed oh, them. They
0: did
2: change them. Yeah, I feel for like, the I think like they got smaller. I feel like they got grosser
4: too. <laughs> <laughs>
3: what, what was the answer I didn't hear? Cadbury.
1: Cadbury. Cadbury. Cadbury eggs. Oh, eggs. Cadbury. The eggs. I,
3: I wonder how much of it is things changing and just us not having a taste for those old things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I hadn't tried a lucky charm since I was like a kid, and then maybe five years ago or something there was a box in the house. and oh, I haven't had Lucky Charms forever. And so it's portable and I took one bite and it was like chewing broken glass. I couldn't handle
2: it. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> Any of you guys like those, uh, what are they called? Peeps? No. Uh, yeah,
4: the, the different colors,
0: the pe- they come in different
4: colors.
2: They look like little cool. chicks. Yeah. Like I feel
4: like I did not, even when I didn't have discerning taste. I feel like I was always aware that those were gross. <laughs> yeah, they were
2: gross. <laughs> so, uh, being that you are uh, the artist on Detective Comics. Um, we, we have to ask this, you know, how much do you deadlift? <laughs>
4: uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel okay. like I've. I've uh, Peter's called me a couple times, just yeah. coincidentally, while I, I have gone to the gym. And I don't, you know, I, I don't do anything impressive in there, but I. I uh, somebody a friend of mine, made a comment that uh, I need to start posting uh, lifting pictures on Instagram or something just because I'm working on a Batman book but <laughs> <laughs> I always feel I feel like it's such a thing now that when uh, Peter will call me and I'll text him back and I'll be like, hey, I'll call you back in a bit I'm, I'm at the gym and it's just coincidentally happened a couple times where I've actually made You know time to get out because I've been so busy so uh, and then I, I feel ridiculous like I don't have a mass to justify sending that
0: text <laughs> it's true because you got, you got like doug and then you got capullo and you got sean murphy yeah. like all these guys
2: and scott on, now scott know, scott scott yeah, like and jackson
0: had to.
4: Yeah.
2: deadlift comments that's what's turning into man yeah. um so you grew up in georgia right
4: no i uh oh. so i was all over um i lived in georgia for a couple years when i was really little and then chicago and then Colorado, and then California, and then I went back to Georgia for college.
0: But you also were in New York for a
4: little while, right? I'm still, I'm, I've been in New York since 2002.
0: Oh, so this is the so, first guest we had on that's lived in Chicago and New York, so this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> okay,
2: yeah, yeah, okay. Part of, part of this, forget comics, we're just talking about food now. <laughs> so, which do you like better? Do you like the New York-style pizza or Chicago deep dish? Hmm.
4: Uh, flavor, I'll be honest, flavor-wise, I probably like a deep dish better, but oh. it'll kill you faster.
2: <laughs> that's what everyone says.
4: <laughs> I, I cut down the middle and I get like a Sicilian slice in New York.
2: Mm, yeah. Oh, okay.
4: Sicilian. Oh,
2: <laughs> so, coming from Georgia, have you ever had chicken and waffles?
4: Uh, sure. Yeah. There's, yeah. That's a big thing in New York now, I
2: feel like. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, um,
4: Sweet Chick does that a lot
0: now. those That branch of a uh, restaurant's... Um that Nas co-signs uh, co- off on. They they specialize in chicken and waffles, like soul food kind of oh, stuff. Yeah.
2: yeah, for the listener, if you've never had chicken and waffles, what it is is it's basically like... <laughs> chicken and waffles. <laughs> well, it's like fried chicken on a waffle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you just pour some syrup over it. It could be like a chicken tender, but it's kind of better if it's not. Mm-hmm. You pour
1: syrup over oh, all
4: I, that shit, man. I like, shit, that, man. Yeah. Oh. I like it, that you explained it when the name is really dead on
3: well
1: you know we we have kids kids are stupid all over
3: the world yeah but now let me let me let me tell you what a blt is yeah it's not
4: exactly the it's not the confusing mess that chicken fried steak is right
2: (laughs) oh god oh that's funny hey that's funny that's a funny story um when i was in high school you know how you have these foreign exchange students that come in and um We had a foreign exchange student. Uh, He was from Colombia. His name was Pablo. Now, I mean, that's just coincidental. But anyway, he would not eat beef. And he was staying with this one family uh, that I was friends with. He loved chicken fried steak. And one day, the host mother was, you know, she was making the chicken fried steak. She had this, you know, sirloin beef or whatever and putting all the breading on. She said, Pablo asked him, what are you doing and she's like, I'm making chicken fried steak, and he's like, it's not chicken. She's like, no, it's not chicken. It's steak that's fried like a chicken, and just blew his mind. He would never eat it again. <laughs> uh, I don't
4: know why this chicken's so
3: good, but it is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this
3: is like the steak of chickens. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: the steak of chickens. Um, so, what's your um, what kind of music do you like to listen to?
3: Uh,
4: well, I've been listening to those Danny Elfman scores.
1: <laughs>
4: oh, nice! Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, nice. I'm like a indie rock guy, and uh, and plenty of like '90s and uh, '80s mm. alternative type stuff, mm. um, which is a much less interesting answer than than the Elfman stuff in relation to the gig. But
2: no, uh, you're you're talking my language now.
4: It mm. is kind of cool. Another thing that you don't really think about working on a lot of characters, just the amounts of atmospheric elements that you can employ on somebody like Batman to keep yourself inspired by it. You know, the the movies, the cartoons, the merchandise, music like that, you know, how many characters can you really come up with a hummable theme score for? Really, I mean, so many characters have had movies now, but really, I feel like the williams superman score and the elfman batman score are kind of the only two that i can think of that really really do that to a mass audience and so, i could you know, see
2: you just drawing away and like going do 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 it's in my
4: head all the time i've right. kind of immersed myself in batman since i started it just because i'm able to <laughs> and because uh you know i feel like it, it helps me stay in the gig i, I haven't read a lot of Non-Batman comics since last summer, when they first started talking about the, mm. the book, and you know I, I don't miss it. It's mm. he's got thousands of great comics. You know I'm not at a loss of stuff to read
3: mm. when Crap. I
4: have in it. So you know it's it's been a lot of fun to approach the job that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know if if I'm sort of struggling with a page. I'll listen to like radio or I'll put on like old sitcoms that I've seen a hundred times in the background sometimes, mm. but if I'm struggling, that's a good go to way to sort of get my head in the game is to put on I, I bought a couple of the animated series scores to the Shirley Walker music, and I guess there's a bunch of composers that worked on it. but um so you know, if I run out of the first two elfman <laughs> scores i I move over to that and I've always got something to sort of put my head in the game you know
2: so which do you prefer Seinfeld or Friends oh Seinfeld uh, thank <laughs> <laughs> people that
4: prefer Friends uh, look uh, I can watch I can watch Friends but it's not a good show no, love,
0: Legends <laughs> is on probation right now because he he watches Friends so <laughs> he <just> got, <laughs> um plain or peanut m ms uh well, probably plain but I like peanut just as much
4: mm, well, you
0: um, if you could have dinner with one per- one human being, dead or alive, throughout history, who would it be? John Lennon. Ooh. Yeah. You All
2: could- right. This uh, question came from, uh, we, we're starting a new tradition, and you're going to get to be a part of this tra- <laughs> tradition. This question came from Joey Lawrence. The Joey Lawrence, yes. The
4: Joey Lawrence. Yeah, from whoa, Blossom. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, he wants to know, would you rather live to the age of 65 with billions of dollars, or to 105 as a pauper, you know, as a, you know, humble... Just getting by, kind of. Right.
4: I feel like my career choice sort of telegraphs this answer. <laughs> 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 I didn't exactly go for the big bucks.
2: <laughs> for our next guest, what, what question would you like to ask? And it can be anything.
4: Oh. Do I know who the next guest is?
2: No, you don't.
4: Oh, I just have to ask. You just get to everyone.
2: throw out whatever you want. Mm. But oh. then that will entice you to listen to our next episode.
4: Uh, <laughs> see we get you. It's almost like... Uh... <laughs> All right. If you're picking up dog poop through <laughs> a bag and you feel the heat in the bag...
2: Okay, let me read have, have, <laughs> have,
4: have particles gotten on your hand if you're able to feel the heat? <laughs> hmm. or
1: this is like physics. The best question that's ever been asked in this podcast. I, I
0: experience this every morning too, so this is
2: pretty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, if picking up dog poop, and you said with your hand in the bag,
4: yeah, through through the plastic, you know, the little bag yeah. that you buy, and you can still feel the heat from it, yeah. wouldn't logic kind of suggest that particles are getting to your hand if you can feel heat? That
1: energy is transferring from the poop to your hand, right? That's energy, it's
4: like so.
1: Radioactive, dude. Like, yeah. You know this? We're gonna we're gonna have to get a scientist on the show to, to really <laughs> I,
0: I, expand that, on I, this. I think that's a permanent question, man. that's one of the right. best ones I ever
1: heard. That's like a chicken or chicken or <laughs> the egg. It first. takes
0: a lot of dog walking to ponder.
2: these Brad, things. you've
1: thought about this, haven't you, extensively? <laughs>
2: you know, that's why I would never do the the hand scoop. I would always have a, a little hand shovel, and I would just be like, doop.
4: You carry around a shovel? Well, they they have a, have a,
1: yeah, yeah, I man. Like a little hand
4: but, shovel. Yeah. But
1: then what do you do with the poop? Like it's gonna you got a poop shovel now. Well, yeah, I would throw
2: universe, it at
4: people. It's a, lot of,
0: <laughs>
4: it's a lot of particles
0: on that shovel, boy. I, <laughs> no, I they walk,
2: have.
4: you know, I walk a dog several times a day and I always pick it up because I feel that heat, so my hand feels <laughs> tainted and disgusting. So I only ever <laughs> use my left hand. And I don't oh. touch anything with that hand until I've gotten back to the that, house. That's exactly and I the hand.
0: exactly what I do. What, what kind of dog do you have?
4: Uh, she's a hound mix. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've thought about a
1: lot about that.
4: <laughs> I mean, I feel that hot hand three times a day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> do you know what I think about? And I, th- I can't remember what comedian talks about it, but what if aliens come down and? see dogs walking in front of us and then see us behind them picking up their poop.
2: (laughs) They gotta gotta think, who's the leader? right? Uh,
0: Tommy, that space
4: uh, thing today that you were at really got you going, huh? (laughs)
1: JPL, yeah, man.
4: Uh, I mean, the odds of if the aliens eventually come, it could be, you know, decades centuries after we're dead mm. and would they even come t- come to your town what you should worry about is what, is the dog thinking?
3: Mm. Mm.
0: I, what the if the dogs think I what if the dogs just started talk speaking in plain English and just taking over <laughs> like they were just putting yeah. on an act the whole time that's what right. i think
1: that's right you p- you pick up my shit <laughs>
0: that dog definitely <laughs> thinks it. they're the
4: masters <laughs>
1: yeah
0: um, but hey listen um Brad we want to thank you so much for your time detective comics 1001 man if you were yeah. a kid and someone said, "Hey, did you going to enjoy Detective Comics 1001?" what would you say?
4: <laughs> right? <laughs> that sounded I, I don't think I could have uh, expected the bi-weekly shipping, so I think I would have been annoyed with myself that it took me that long to mm-hmm. get to, <laughs> to to get on <laughs> to that <about> <laughs> Yeah. What, what were we on at the time like coming up on 600 when i started buying mm. batmans so i just i would have been so angry that it was going to take me almost twice the run before i could get there wow
0: that's, <laughs> crazy. that's crazy i remember that too 600 now we're at a thousand already so yeah
3: mind-blowing <laughs> incidentally uh, incidentally i feel like you may have earned uh, a nickname uh, from now on you know, could end up being a uh, hot hands maybe lefty Hot, hot left hand, so,
4: yeah.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> with the but, uh...
4: And uh, before I before I go, I would like to tell everybody listening, take a uh, particular note of uh, Drew Hennessy's inks and Nathan Fairbairn's colors in the issue, because I really feel like more than any other work experience that I've had, I feel like it's all completely very symbiotic, and and I think all three of us are just really on the same page and so even you know i'm always gonna have gripes about my own output but i feel like even the stuff and the issues that i am not thrilled with about myself they come along and, and make me love it so you know credit to those guys and, and i hope everybody always remembers to <laughs> pay attention to inkers and colors too you're and, good, well and said because you're a it, 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 it's okay. a beautiful
2: issue oh, thank you guys you're i good appreciate man. that you, take, you,
0: know. you give your team you do man that's uh, that's that's honorable that's awesome so thanks again for everything brad and i uh, will be in touch cool yeah thanks guys hey Gotham Dwellers make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio we can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud don't miss out guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs